0: Um, turn to Matthew 6. I've got a lot to go through, so I'm going to jump right in. Is that cool? Matthew 6, and we're going to start in verse uh, um, 7. That's where we're going we're to read it. Matthew 6, verse 7. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to play, uh, pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everybody can see them. I tell you the truth, that all uh, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray... Go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on, as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you do fast, comb your hair, wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private. And your Father who sees everything will reward them. Uh, We'll we'll stop right there. Um, Last week we talked about how if you're going to be good, and we'll look back at this in a second. But if you're going to be good, if you're going to do good, then be good and do good for God. We talked about... Um, how every person wants praise. And because everybody wants praise, everyone needs a platform for praise, something that will lift us up enough for people to take notice. You guys remember that? We talked about how um, we kind of desire a stage. We probably wouldn't say that we do, but internally there is this desire for a stage that will get people to notice us, people to applause us. That could be your job. It could be whatever activities you're involved in. It could be your... Um, It could be your your looks, it could be your clothes, it could be your money. Jesus was talking to the crowd and he said it could even be your religion. That's why he says be careful that your righteousness does not become a platform for praise. He says give to the poor but don't don't do it to be honored by men. In verse 5 he says pray to your father but don't do it to be seen by men. And then look what he says in verse 7. He says... And when you're praying, so he says, pray to your Father, just don't do it to be seen by men. And he says, and when you're praying, it's almost like he's saying, by the way, <laughs> since we're on the topic of prayer, and tonight we're on the to- topic of prayer, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, and uh, let me start by saying this, and you can write this down. Prayer is the number one way we develop our relationship with God, okay, okay? If you want to write things down, you can write that down. Prayer is the number one way that we develop our relationship with God. How many of you knew that your relationship with God can be developed? Your relationship can be developed. Now, I'm not talking about a progressive salvation thing, you know, that uh, through works where the more I do, the more I get saved. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, You can't really get any more saved than you are the day that you call upon Jesus as your Savior and, and you commit your life to follow Him. You're positionally in Christ. You, you can't get any more saved than that. But what I'm talking about is when we chose to follow Christ, there is a spiritual miracle that happened. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12. He says that when, when we called upon the name of Jesus, when we gave our life to Him to follow Him, that the Holy Spirit of God baptizes us into the body of Christ. Okay? that he baptizes, he merges us, he inserts us into the family of God. And because that we have been inserted into the family of God, baptized into, baptized just means immersed. We were plunged into the family of God. We're connected. We finally have peeps. You know what I mean? When that happens, God becomes our heavenly father. When that happens, we are children of God. Paul was talking to the Uh, the people of the church of Galatia, and he said, Because you are sons, y'all listening? Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son, Jesus, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for father. Father, so Abba, Father. He's basically shifting uh, a bit of the mentality of of his listeners. Um, You know, they they consider him father in the way that he's... um, the paternal figure over the universe. He created everything. Therefore, he's the father of everything. But not necessarily father in that personal kind of way. Like when my kids call me daddy, that's kind of what Abba means. You're my daddy. Okay? So he says, crying, Abba, Father. He's saying there is a new relationship with God that is on the horizon here. Therefore, you are no longer slaves. Slaves to what? Slaves to sin. Slaves to death. Slaves to the world. Slave to the oppressive nature of, of Satan. You are, he says, sons. And if you are a son, and of course a daughter too, ladies. Daughters aren't sons. Daughters are daughters, but okay, anyway. But if you're a son, and check this out, then an heir, an heir through God. See, God has made all that he is and all that he has available To us. We've heard that. In fact, I think I've said maybe before that's a great definition of of grace, God's grace, all that He is and has available, made available to us. He's made everything that He is and has available to us. That is never the question. Please understand, that is never the question whether or not He has made everything available to us. The question is, how much of ourselves do we make available to God? That is the question. In fact, you can write this down. The more available we make ourselves to God, the more of himself he will release. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but you see it all the time in Scripture. The more available we make ourselves to him, the more of himself he will release. Most of us are familiar with Daniel. Daniel is the, is the guy in the Bible who was thrown into the lion's den, but the lions didn't eat him because he was under God's protection. Daniel says this, There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Of course, we know Daniel was the one that was interpreting everybody's dreams, okay? And so he, he's proving that. There are mysteries of God, and God reveals those. Paul was talking to the Corinthian church in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians. He says, we are servants of Christ who have been entrusted with these mysteries of God. God has entrusted us with those mysteries. And then Jesus himself, he was talking to his disciples, and he said something very similar. He said, Um, the ability to know the mysteries of the kingdom has been granted to uh, been granted to you and more so in abundance in other words i've granted you the ability to know the mysteries and they will come to you more and more the the mysteries of god will come to you in abundance because god's always speaking now listen, we're about to talk about, about prayer. I'm just giving you a little, bit of a, a little bit of foundation for this. God is always speaking, He's always revealing mysteries. A lot of those mysteries are the gigantic mysteries that have to do with the universe at large, you know. But some of those mysteries literally have to do with you and me. It has to do with our lives, his good plans and purposes for our lives, what he hopes to see in and through that, uh, through us. That's why Paul writes to the people at the church of Philippi and he says, work out. Your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, with um, persistence and perseverance. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who, and please hear this, it is God who is at work in you both. It's like he's doing a little list. Both, one, to will and to work for his good pleasure. And when he says, work out your salvation, a lot of people get tripped up on that, and they try to figure out what it means, and they assume it means this, they assume it means that. Um, You get into all sort of weird doctrinal debates on that. But here's what it means, to work out your salvation. It literally means to develop your relationship with God. Amen? He has positionally put you in Christ, in the body, in the family of God. Now, develop that relationship. It's kind of like the day my son, my first son was born. He was born, and everybody was goo-goo over him, and he was kind of goo-goo, literally, <laughs> and gaga over me, right? But I didn't know him, he didn't know me, and for the last 13 years, we're developing a relationship. Sometimes we de- develop that pleasantly, and sometimes we develop it <laughs> not so pleasantly, right? And sometimes that's the way it goes with God. But that's the point. Working out your salvation is about developing your relationship with God. It made me think of a, a baseball glove, okay? In fact, I had one in my truck. I was going to bring it in as an illustration. I forgot. Man, I would have been a great preacher tonight if I would have done that. But think about a baseball glove, okay? God has given us a baseball glove. And that baseball glove has the ability to catch everything that comes our way. Everything. It can catch every fly ball. It can catch every grounder. It can catch every line drive. If I'm working a base, I can catch every base throw, whatever, that comes to me. Everything that comes by, it has been given the ability to, to catch. But that glove is virtually useless if it is not broken in and worked out. How many of you have ever broken in a baseball mitt? Raise your hand if you've ever broken in. Really? That many? So you take the mitt. This is the way I did it. This is the way I was taught to do it when I was a kid. So if, it was, if I was taught wrong, it's not my fault. We're a product of what we've seen and learned, right? Okay. You take your brand new glove that you can barely squeeze. You guys know what I'm talking about? Especially when you're like five, you know, like uh, uh, they throw the ball at you. and it Why? Because you can't close it, right? Okay, so you want to break this thing in. And the way I was taught to do it is you take the glove and you get this leather oil and you just rub it all over that thing. And not like, I'm in total like, you just get in there and you rub it. And then you find out what feels good to your hand. And you put it in that position, and then you put it somewhere that can hold that position. I used to put it up under my bed. Does that make sense? So it cranks down. It holds it in that position. The next day, you take it out. See how it probably works a little bit more? You rub some more oil on it. Put it back under there. Let it sit for the next day. And then the next day, you work it out, you work it out, you work it out, you work it out. Okay? And whenever you do that, you have a fully functioning, the glove that was given to you can now be very very useful. To me, I was thinking about that this week, about how this is a picture of working out your salvation, developing your relationship with God. God has given us himself. All that he is, all that he has. He's given us himself. He's given us the glove, okay? The ability to catch everything and to do everything that he will, wills and pleases for us to do and purposes for us to do, okay? But here's the deal. We've got to take that thing and we've got to rub it with oil. We've got to, I mean, just cover it with oil. In Scripture, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the ability that the helper gives us. Okay? Without that oil, man, it's just really hard to work that stuff out. It's really hard to use that glove. But with that oil, same thing in our walks of the Lord. You need the Holy Spirit. It's a symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The next thing is that you, you take that... Um, that glove and you position it to be molded. You fold it to where, to where it needs to be and you, and you position it somewhere where it can be molded and shaped. And to me, that's a, that's a picture of a yielded servant. What's the point of having the Holy Spirit if you're not going to be a yielded, humble servant who is saying, I'll do whatever you, you've called me to do, Lord. But there's even more than that. It's about taking it out once you've been molding and you're a yielded servant and then actually doing something as that servant. Because when all three of those things are working together in unity, our relationship with the Lord is developed. And we grow and we mature and we become more and more like Christ and we're useful and we're doing um, um, bigger and not necessarily better and greater things, but more things. And Jesus said that about us. Um, He said, you're going to do greater things than I've done. Not that we're going to do greater in magnitude, but because we have the Holy Spirit in us and we're living more than 33 years probably, we're going to have an opportunity to do more of those things, because He is in us, Amen. There is a because of the unity of all three of those things. Because see, I can, I can, I can even work it out, try to work it out, but without the Holy Spirit, not whole lot's not going to get done. Or I could be a yielded servant, you know, oh, just so humble and pious, but I can do that without the Holy Spirit. There's no empowerment. It's those three things working together that we grow and we mature in the Lord. Um, now, a big part of working out your salvation, or developing your relationship with God has to do with prayer. It has to do with prayer. And please hear me, because if you're not big on prayer, if you don't pray every day or an hour a day or 10 hours a day or every month, listen, it doesn't, if you're not big on prayer, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Anybody ever felt that condemnation? Well, it's hard for me to pray. I can't imagine what God thinks about me. Listen, God loves you just because you're not praying as much as you need to doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It also doesn't mean that he doesn't know you. Well, I mean, I haven't spent time with God in so long, he probably doesn't know what's going on in my life. (laughs) Yeah, he does. God knows exactly what's going on in your life. The scripture says he knows it better than we know it ourselves, okay? He knows exactly what's going on in our life. But here's the thing. We don't know what's going on in his life. We don't know what's going on in his heart. We're not getting to go and grow any further in understanding His will and good pleasure. And that's the very reason Jesus went up that hill to preach, to call His people up the holy hill of the Lord, so that they would stand in His holy place, that they would grow in righteousness to ascend the hill of the Lord. These are all different ways of saying, symbolism of saying, developing your relationship with God. Sean sang a song about, a lot of his songs were about getting closer to God. And that's exactly, which is great, Sean. Once again, we, we didn't have time to connect this week. By the way, is he in here? Sean, stand up real quick. I just got to pause. Sean passed a major flight instruction test this week. So, huge, huge, huge. I had no doubt that he would, but scary. and He was nervous. He did it. Anyway, my point is, we didn't have enough time to connect really this week either, but he, he just, the Holy Spirit was speaking about what, God wants to teach tonight. And that is his desire for us to develop our relationship with him, to grow closer to him. That's what all these things, ascending the hill of the Lord, standing in his holy place. So it's no surprising when he gets to this part about prayer, he pauses and teaches a little mini sermon on prayer. It's no surprise, is it? And that's kind of what I want to do, just cover a few things about prayer. We're not going to dive into all of it because you could really break down every part of the Lord's prayer and do about you know, a whole Sunday on each one. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna go through it a little bit. I'm actually gonna share a little bit about prayer and fasting because that's the next thing that he talks about. So we're gonna call them two the top two discipline the top two spiritual disciplines of a child of God. So if you want to write that you can. The top two spiritual disciplines, remember what we're talking about? Developing our relationship with the Lord, working things out. The top two things we work out are prayer and fasting to develop our relationship with the Lord. At least that's what I'm saying tonight. I feel that's very, very true. The first one is prayer. Now Jesus is about to give what we typically call the Lord's Prayer. It's not called the Lord's Prayer because this is exactly how Jesus prays every time, or that it's exactly how we're supposed to pray every time. There are Christians who think if you don't pray just like that, if you don't say those words, then nothing's happening. Well, that's pharisaical and that's religious, and, and that just creates, it makes those words nothing more than religious rhetoric. You hear what I'm saying? Just words, okay? That's not what Jesus is after. That's not what it's, he's doing. It's called the Lord's Prayer really because Jesus, our Lord, gave a, uh, a model of how to pray, and his prayer, listen to me, and you can write this down if you want. His prayer outlines a prayer that embraces who God is as a father and who we are as his children, and we'll look at that but listen, this prayer and the components of it are prayers. It's a model of embracing Him as Abba, Father, and what that means. And that we are children of God. In fact, look what he says, the first thing he says when he gets into this. And when you're praying, we already talked about that. When you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition. Some of your versions say, do not use vain repetitious a repetition, as the Gentiles do, or as the pagans do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. Now, remember, we don't have just a relation, a religion with a God. You hear what I'm saying? That's not what we have. We don't have a religion that has a God. We have a relationship with God. That's what separates our faith from a lot of other religions, a lot of other uh, faiths. Pagan religions worship gods that are feared because their character. Shifts. Please hear what I'm saying, because this is a huge point in understanding the Lord's Prayer. Because he, look, he, This is the only time he, he, likens, um, he says not to do something the way the pagans do it. All the other ones are, don't do it like the Pharisees, don't do it like the religious leaders, don't do this, do it this way, I'm do, giving you a new model, don't do it like the religious people did. But here he's saying, don't do it like the pagans do. So he's making a huge point. Pagan religions worship, God, worship gods that are feared because their character can shift. The God can have a good day, the God can have a bad day. And because you don't know if he's having a good day or a bad day, the way you pray, you know, is you're trying to figure out where he's at today so that you please him. Okay, that is not what's going on. The apostle um, Paul talks about um, God this way. He says that the Father of the heavenly lights, our Father, Abba Father, God the Father, the God we worship, does not change like shifting shadows. See, other gods do. You ever notice that? Anybody know, know a little bit about other religions, other gods? It's like, I don't know where they're at today. Uh, you know, I'll do something, whatever, some sort of little prayer. But that's not our God's not like that. His character doesn't shift and change like shadows. He is the same. And because of that, that can really dictate the way we approach him, the way we communicate and, and, um, and pray to him. Paul says this about us. So James said that about God. He's not shifting. His character doesn't shift. And here's what Paul said, the Apostle Paul said about us. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God... These are sons of God. He goes on to say, for, if, uh, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. In other words, that's what, we, that's what we did have before Christ. We had the spirit of bondage to fear. We may not have realized that that's what we had, but Paul's saying, before Christ, you had the spirit of bondage to fear. He said, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, he's using that picture again, Daddy, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And I love this. If we're children, then here's what that means. Then you are heirs. Heirs of God. And this is incredible, you guys. And we could, we could go all day on this alone. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, if indeed we really follow Him, we take up our cross, and we um, we are that um, that that servant who positions ourselves to be to used. Does that make sense? If we are that type of a person, then we are joint heirs with Christ, that we may also be glorified together. So when we pray, it is not a spirit of bondage to fear prayer. When we pray, we pray in the spirit. And I'm going to say this twice because this is good. We pray in the Spirit as children who have been adopted by a loving Father who is pleased to reveal Himself to us. When we pray, we don't pray in the Spirit of fear, to, uh, spirit of bondage to fear. We pray in the Spirit as children who have been adopted by a loving Father who is pleased to reveal Himself to us. Now, someone who doesn't understand this is probably... Still bound to fear. And when they pray, they pray, probably play, uh, pray long, eloquent, repetitive prayers because they are trying to please God through their prayers. Are you guys listening? But Jesus says, long, I mean, he says it. Long and repetitious prayers are prayed in vain because that's not what it takes to engage God's goodness. It's just not what it takes. And for you to pray long and repetitious prayers, eloquent and all polished up, you are not understanding that he is daddy. You know, when my kids approach me, I don't expect them to say, Father, oh, how you buy us milk. <laughs> you buy the good kind, organic, from a real farm. Thank you, Father, that you provide that for us. I do request, Father, can I have a glass of milk? You know, that's not the way they approach me. They're like, Daddy, can I get some milk? Yes, just don't get too much. It's expensive. You know what I mean? That's the way it rolls. That's the way it happens at our house. I don't know about you. They approach me as Daddy, but when someone doesn't understand that, they, they come off into some, it really just becomes, again, like that religious rhetoric. Now, I love this because this is the message version. I'll use, I'll use the message version sometimes to um, to look at different scriptures. In, in Matthew 6, uh, Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. This is the way the message version translated. This is your father you are dealing with. Okay, we're talking about your father. We're talking about daddy. And he knows better than you what you need. And this is what I like. With a God like that, with a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. Now this is about understanding who God is. Let me say it again. This is your father we're dealing with. We're talking about daddy, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. In fact, write this down. Simple prayers are music to God's ears. He loves them. Why does God like simple prayers? Because they prove that we understand who he is <laughs> and who we are in him. You guys hear what I'm saying? It's proof I don't have to go on and on and on and on. God heard me the first time. I don't even have to yell. I don't have to yell. I could whisper God hears me. In fact, I don't even have to speak out loud. Though I think there's power in that because it lets the enemy know what you're doing. <laughs> Amen? I don't think the devil can read your mind. Anyway, so he says, you can pray very simply like this. And we're going to look at the, the um, Lord's Prayer. You ready? So follow along with me. and write these things down. It starts off, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'm going to say this. This is a component that Jesus... Jesus isn't saying it. Say it like that or you're going south. You know, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, here's here's a component that you need to have when you talk to your Father. Pray with a passion for his praise. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, revered, respected, adored, honored be your name. Pray with a submission... I'm, I'm sorry, pray with a passion... For his praise. It's not just about opening with some sort of praise. Um, There's a famous Jewish prayer I I came across while I was studying. And and this is a famous Jewish prayer opening. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. Blessed, praised, and glorified, exalted, and honored, magnified, and lauded be the name of the Holy One. And then you just continue on. I have to do that again so you'll get how ridiculous it is. Okay? Blessed, praised, and glorified, exalted, honored, and magnified, and lauded. See, I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Right. Be the name of the Lord. Be the name of the Holy One. I taught a message when I was a youth pastor about that because, you know, Dear God, Father, Lord, God, Jesus, we just, whoa, slow down. God heard you. I mean, God knows who you're talking to. You know what I mean? Slow down. My point is, All we have to say is, Abba. And then go from there. But when we do it, we don't go, Abba. We approach him with a passion for his praise. Not just saying something that exalts his name. God, you are exalted. You really are. But there's a passion that wells up in you behind that praise. It's supported by a true passion. It's like like what Psalm 43, 4 says. David said, there I will go to the altar of God, to God. This is the way he says it. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. And I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. You see the passion in that? He wasn't just saying, I'm going to go to the altar and pray. There's this passion behind it. You can read it, you can sense it, and you know it because you know David's life. Psalm 100, we're mostly familiar with this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Enter. In other words, I'm coming for fellowship. I'm coming to talk with Dad. I'm coming to talk with Father. And when I do it, I come with thanksgiving because all that he is and all that he's done and promises to do. And I come in with in his courts with praise, give thanks to him, bless his name. Because a grateful heart is the difference between passive and passionate praise. It's like when we come into this place... We, We can't just read the words on the screens and just sing them. There's got to be a heart of passion behind that. So that's, I think, when Jesus says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's not saying, say it just like that because that's the only prayer he'll accept. Give him his title. No, it's not what he's saying. He said, come with a passion to praise him. A heart that realizes who he is and a desire to give him all that credit. The next thing he says is, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To me, this is this means to pray with a submission to his plan. Y'all listening? Pray with a submission to my to his plan. Whenever we are talking with him, when we are praying, there has got to be this uh, underlying understanding that, like with with what it says in Proverbs 16, uh, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Okay? Lord, I'm praying this and, and I'm I'm praying. Um, according to your word, according to your will, but these are also my desires because it says delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I'm delighting myself in you so I'm expressing my desires to you. I'm laying out what my desire is, what my plan is. But in the end, there's a submission to his plan that we know that it may not. His ways are higher than our ways so it could turn out looking different. There's got to be that element because when we come praying, part of our prayer is supplication. Pr- part of it is praying for ourselves. It's not always praying for other people. Always pray. Some of it is praying for us And so when we do that, we have to pray knowing that there's got to be a submission to His plan. Proverbs 19 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Now this sounds right and reasonable. We can read that and be like, oh yes. Many are the plans of the righteous, but it is the Lord. His purposes prevail. We can say that and that all sounds right and good. But when you experience the disappointment that comes... When there's that realization that his ways are better than your ways and what you wanted didn't turn out anything close to what you thought. That's why it says a heart, a hope deferred makes a heart sick. When you have your heart dead set on something, it doesn't come to pass or doesn't look like exactly what you wanted it to. It just makes you sick. And it really shouldn't. Why? Because in our communication with the Father, there is this understanding that there is an overall submission to his plans. My prayers even need to be voiced that way because that's what jesus did god if there's another way father if there's another way if i don't have to die on the cross to get this done there's another way but not what i want what you want you guys remember that prayer jesus modeled that to us and so um, it made me think real quick made me think of john the baptist Who we know was created for the purpose of preparing the way for Messiah, preaching the good news, or preaching the um, the coming of the Messiah, the one who would bring salvation. He did that. He did a great job, but he found himself, and he was Jesus' cousin, but he found himself in prison, not just in prison, but with the threat of having his own head cut off. Okay? I doubt that's the plan that he had in mind, but that's where he's at. I'm in prison. They're threatening to cut off my head. Would you do me a favor next time you see a cousin? Cousin Jesus, could you ask him if he really is the Messiah who was to come? So those guys came over there. Uh, Jesus John was wanting to know, man, are you really the Messiah? And here's what Jesus said, "Blessed are those who are not offended by my name or offended by me." In other words, blessed are those whose hearts are set on something, but it doesn't go that way because I know what's best and my ways are higher. Blessed are the ones that aren't offended. When my ways outshine your ways or my plans outshine or take precedence over your plans. Blessed are those people. So it all sounds well and good. Many are the plans. But when it works out practically in your life, it's, it can be very hard. I'll write this down. Being offended God will kill a prayer life. Being offended with God will kill a prayer life. I know this personally. I was fairly offended when we found out we had to move from DSP. I don't even know why. You know what I mean? I was even more offended whenever we didn't get exactly what we wanted in a place right when we wanted. I was offended. And you know what? There were several weeks where my prayer life was dead. Can I just admit that to you? Dead. Like, non-existent. Like, I'd sit down to pray, but I'd just be like... I'm just being honest. Why? Because I was offended at the Lord. My wife and I were talking about that the other day. Realized I was just flat out offended that what he was after was different than what I was after. There was a season where I just flat out was not submitted to his plan in my heart. Amen? It's a hard realization and it stinks. I like the way the New Living Translation says, Luke uh, 7.23, God blesses those who do not turn away. Because of me, and if our prayer life is suffering, essentially, what we're we're not turning to Abba; we're going and we're turning away. It's a very, very dangerous place to be, and that's why Jesus brings it up. It's part of the prayer. There's got to be a submission to His plan. He says, "Give us this day our daily bread." Uh, this, to me, means to pray with an expectation of His provision that God the Father is going to provide. There are so many scriptures about the provision of the Father that I could not even probably teach it all in one week. You guys know what I'm talking about? If you're familiar with the word, the way his, he provides, his heart to provide. Um, Philippians 4.19, we quote it all the time, especially when we want something. It says, and my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. And that's true. He will supply all our, oh wait, not wants, all our needs. Why? Because he knows what we need. Why? Because he's our father. He's not dumb. He's God. And he will supply what we need. Backing up to his plan, make sure we're not praying according to what we want, but according to his will, and asking him to provide our needs. That's what Jesus is saying. Give us this day just what I need. And he will. He says, seek first, Jesus himself said, seek first the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Amen? Okay, I'm a pretty humble guy, but I am preaching way better than y'all are responding. I'm just telling you, this is good stuff. Am I wrong? Okay. Somebody raise a hanky. Thank you, Marvin. It's invisible. I didn't see it. Give us this day our daily bread. Pray with an expectation of His provision. When I pray, what's the point of praying? Lord, I just pray that you would, whatever, but not really have the faith, belief, and expectation that He actually would do it. At that point, you know what category it falls in? Vain repetition. You're saying it, but you're saying it in vain. Why? Because you don't believe it. Pray with an expectation of His provision. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Pray with an appreciation for His pardon. He's pardoned us, He's forgiven us. Our sins, our debt has been washed away by the blood of Jesus. With gratitude and gratefulness, we pray with an appreciation for His pardon. You know, in our prayers at some point, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Let there be an intentional gratitude vocalizing his salvation in their life, what he's done. Not even just his salvation, but his provision, his this, his that, his pardon. Um, I have all kinds of scriptures on that. For the sake of time, I'm going to, you can write them down, Isaiah 55, Micah 7, uh, 18. I love that one, actually, I read it. Where is another God like you? Where is there another God like you who pardons the guilt and passes over the sins of his people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. It's everything we sang about this morning, isn't it? And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray with a realization of his protection. God's, God's got us covered. He's got our back. All angles, every facet, nothing can get through. His armor is solid. His walls are tall enough and thick enough. He is our refuge, our stronghold, our defense. It's all going to be okay. And when we pray, we pray with that in mind. We pray without fear but with faith, we talk about that a lot around here. My wife's talked about it. We've talked about it. Faith is the opposite of fear. Okay? When you're not praying in faith, then you're operating in fear. If you're operating in fear, you won't pray in faith. They go, they're, they're enemies. Pray uh, faith and fear. Um, you can write these down. You can look at these. 1 Samuel 2, 9, Psalm five eleven, Proverbs eighteen ten. 10. Uh, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're safe. I mean, there's scriptures all over the Bible that are about that, about when we pray, there's got to be an understanding, a realization. We really believe that He will protect us. Amen? And then He ends with, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And it's actually the same thing as the first one, in my opinion. Pray with a passion of praise. (laughs) It's a reminder And he's worthy of praise. Begin with praise. End with praise. If you can slip a little praise in the middle. (laughs) It's all about him. He's the one. On every facet of this, he is worthy of praise. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Sing to the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. In other words, focus on his praise. And by the way, because you end, because you begin with praise and because you end with praise, it undergirds all of it. It gives you really the option the to move forward with all of these other things with confidence and with assurance. Amen? And really quickly, I'm going to cover this fast thing. Um, fasting, because that's the next thing he goes into. And I'm not going to say a whole lot about it, um, because there's a lot that you can say about fasting. But let me just say this. Um, fasting, the, the the main thing that fasting, like when he says don't fast, so that others can see you and don't act all (laughs) when you're fasting. That word fasting means to basically to abstain from food and drink so that or for the purpose of um, spiritual discipline, uh, exercise, religious discipline and religious exercise. Um, It comes from a word that just simply means don't eat. Okay, So there are times when we make the choice. In fact, uh, we've talked through the, seven feasts of the Lord before, and and most of those feasts um, have a a specific fast that goes along with it. And and what they call a fast, they actually call it uh, afflicting yourselves. Call this feast a holy convocation. Uh, That means gather them all. Everybody has to be a part of this. The whole tribe of, of Israel has to be a part of this convocation, this feast, this celebration, and afflict yourselves. In other words, it's a time of fasting. Sometimes it's a day, sometimes it's a week. A time of afflicting yourself. And that's basically saying I am, I am abstaining from something that would bring me comfort or pleasure for the purpose of focusing on God. All my pleasure, all my focus, all my comfort, everything is found in Him. And when we do that as a spiritual discipline, it is an effort to get closer to God or to cling to Him. In fact, um, and I'll just give three, but there's a, there's a phrase, we still use this today, but they, you see it in the Bible, talking about holding fast. Hold fast to something. Um, in Deuteronomy 4, it says you held fast to the Lord your God and are alive today, every one of you. You are alive today. Why? Because you held fast to the Lord. That word fast in that um, sense is to cling, to stick, to stay close to, to follow closely, to join to, to overtake, to catch, to be close to, to stick with. So you held close. You held fast. In Deuteronomy 30, it says the same thing. Love the Lord your God, obey his voice, and by um, and by um, and hold fast to him for this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers Abraham Isaac and Jacob hold fast to the Lord and Joshua talks about this same thing only be careful to observe the commandments of the law which Moses gave to you to love the Lord your God and walk in all his ways to keep his commandments and hold fast to him serve him so i think it's it's interesting fasting and then you got hold fast and when we're fasting, when I choose not to eat or to drink or whatever form of fast, there's Daniel fast, there's different types of fasting, but it centers around um, food usually. When I choose to do that, I am, what I'm saying is I'm trying to get as close to God as I can. Maybe I'm trying to hear something specific. I got big decisions to make. I need to hear his voice. Maybe it's just that I sense a, a desire in me, um, a more passion for his praise. I want to get closer. Whatever it is, an effort to cling to him, to hold fast to him. So if you've never fasted, you should try it. Not so that you can say, oh, look at me. What's wrong? I'm fasting. That that hypocrites do that. Do it in secret. Put on your makeup. Do whatever you got to do to look nice. Brush your teeth. But know that the purpose of it is to hold fast to the Lord. Amen? Job said this, and you know what Job went through. My foot has held fast to his path. I have kept his way not turned aside. And I'll just end. We can go ahead and stand up. I'll end with this verse. Devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. When I say devote yourself to... Well, I didn't say it. Paul said it. When he says devote yourself to prayer, he's not saying do it in a religious way, in a rhetorical way. He's not saying it's got to look like this, it's got to look like that. But what he's saying is strive to be close to God, to be, have a relationship with With God, not a religion with a God. When we approach our faith as a religion with a God, our prayers are just ridiculous. But when we understand all these things about who God is as Father and who we are as children, it changes everything. Amen? All right.